You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Welcome to Ace Comicals episode 106 and uh, just, you know, back to the usual stuff. We're back on our bullshit with some normal reviews, no deep dives today. This is just like, an like this is what you're used to. So, uh, as always, Rahul. Evening, guys. And Leon. Hey, hey. Yeah, so... Um, what has oh man like since the because it's been a while since we've done one of these so we're talking since the beginning of the year because we did like the kind of like the 2020 roundup didn't we yeah which mm. even that wasn't really a, a <laughs> this guy <laughs> even that wasn't really a normal reviews episode that we normally do it wasn't the usual format was it mm. um i mean i quite enjoy doing the deep dive prestige stuff anyway so i do i do want to do a lot more of it it gives me an excuse to get really really nerdy so that's what I enjoy about it. But yeah, um, so like a lot of stuff kind of like ripe for the picking at the minute with like stuff to talk about, things to read because we've not talked about anything for about two months. Um, we've not been able to go to the comic shop for about two months either, but I guess we can still buy things and read them digitally. Um, one of the things we've got on the list today is something that I was very, very excited for and therefore haven't read because i've been getting my lcs to save it for me but you guys must have read it digitally because it's there mm -hmm. so <laughs> and you never told us that you weren't going to read it so we went ahead and read it without you but we well like, yeah no but there's like there's no way greg hasn't read this right yeah it's totally great i'm gonna read this because i know greg's gonna have read it <laughs> it's the one thing it's one of the one things i've been leaving because i know they're holding it for me but I mean, I'm not, you got obviously, you know, I, I'm not precious about things like that, spoilers and whatever. So go ahead. The only reason I wasn't reading it is because I wanted to wait for the, the physical thing to be in my hands because, you know, it's the same with like issues of Ice Cream Man that have come out since New Year. I just can't believe I'm getting to read something and know about it before you. Like that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a special moment, Ray. Savor yeah. it. So, I mean, the other things like, so we've had like loads more Snyder Cut stuff come out since, uh, since New Year, um, because obviously we're getting closer and closer to the, uh, to the drop now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're not on board, get in the coffin, <laughs> <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is something that we've been batting back and forth a lot because there's this whole, um, I think you you showed me the picture, Leon, first of the cast. Is it the are they standing with the Superman coffin? I think it's meant to be, uh, the yeah, the main cast. Uh, but it's sans sans Batman, isn't it? He's not in the image. Uh, yeah, and they're with a coffin that I think's meant to be Superman. I I don't know where the image comes from. I just found it one day on on Instagram, and um, but someone had put the. A, like a date on the coffin and it was like Snyder Cut haters or something on it and <laughs> the date at the time was like I think it was 2017 when Snyder yeah. left left Justice League to 2019 was it when it got or 2020 when the, it got the yeah. green light it was a nice big smug uh, FU to to the rest of the world 
I I feel like it was supposed to be Superman's coffin. I I just always imagined it was whenever whenever that picture has popped nah, up. It's, it's the haters, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like it definitely is from like a um a deleted cemetery scene or something. I was just googling it earlier today. And, like I just I love how like moody black and white it is. They're all like wearing their hoodies and uh, Gal Gadot kind of looks a bit like Dracula with her pop colors and everything. It's such a silly image. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Um, there's been like further trailers and reveals and things like that. And the Joker's in it now. So we've, we've seen the Joker, like what he looks like in this film. And it's like, I I think they kind of went, well, people liked Heath and Phoenix. So let's ape that. Yeah. Like it's given the, the long hair and the kind of like the Heath ledgery look. So uh, where, where, where do we live, Greg? (laughs) (laughs) Where do we live? Yeah, where do we live? Because I think he reminded us. <laughs> we live in a society, of course. Which, which, is, uh, which is kind of galaxy yeah. brain uh, script writing to do. Because it's yeah. like uber cringe, as it's like super meme at this point. But he's done it. He's put it in the movie. So. Yeah, we live in a society. But Indeed, do think, we do. Do you think he has enough self-awareness to know that we're going to take it as cringe and like he's deliberately writing it as cringe? Or he thinks it's actually super cool and just hasn't got the memo? What if it, he just really loves Seinfeld? <laughs> no. like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't connect the dots with that one, Greg. I, I, I think it's the latter, Rahul. I, I, I think it's the latter. <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to believe you. <laughs> but I, I, I'm all ready. I'm ready for the snarky girl. Yeah. I'm ready for Citizen Kane 2. <laughs> I mean, You've got to sit there for the whole four hours. Yeah. The thing is, that's what it has to be yeah. at this point. With all the hype and like the campaigning that went on for years, the fact that um, Warner Brothers' social media were just being bullied every post they did about anything. It was always release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. Oh, here's um this charity we're supporting. Release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut, and they finally done it. Like this movie has to be perfect now. Yeah, it has yeah. to be. It's just a, it's just a law now. Like it's physics. It can't possibly not be good, right? Because of all the hype. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mm. I just imagine Leon watching it when it drops with his like fingers kind of like tent. <laughs> like a, like a, you know, under his chin, like a proper film critic, like the sassy, you know, just <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but like like a like a you know like like you imagine like a proper film critic sitting there in a cinema all by himself, just you know, fingers. Well, the together. way to truly do it is that I need to break into the IMAX, the BFI IMAX on South Bank, and I need to get HBO Max working on their projector and watch it that way because that's the way it should be seen. It's in IMAX format after all. I love you the need idea to get... of you in the IMAX on your own and like at the three hour mark, realizing that it's not over, you start cackling to yourself and your hair turns green. And like <laughs> <laughs> I walk out in slow motion, uh, walking down uh, w- all those big steps <laughs> to uh, Gary Glitter. Good time. <laughs> he gets, he's got one of those reels. He's got the reel. That's, that's what Leon's got. He's got the reel and he's got the, the projection equipment in his own home. Like he's, you know, test screening it or whatever. <laughs> Some old timey movie exec. Yeah. That's how yeah. I imagine it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am hyped. I'm hyped for it. Like, uh, it's, no, it's no secret my feelings on most of the DCEU and Justice League in particular, but 
Hell yeah, give give me it. This is a weird curio that um Same. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna dive in. Like it's I'm interested to chemicals. see. Yeah. I I'm interested to see what could have been. <laughs> like I mean it's well it's what is now, but it's kind of like this is this is almost like an you know how that we had these like dark multiverse one shots in the yeah. DC universe, like set with this is almost like dark multiverse, like Snyder cut number one, like the one shot that is like what would have happened. Like it's going to, the film is going to open with like a forward by Tempest Fuginaut. And he's going to tell us like, he glances into other futures, other futures that never made. <laughs> this is going to be it. Like what if, what if the uh, reaction to it is so positive that it actually becomes canon, and then they re-engineered the the future films to fit it. Oof! Imagine Snyder inherits the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Snyder standing there on like all the bodies of the dead Justice League, holding Superman's cape all torn up, like drawn <laughs> by like Rob Liefeld, like you know, just <laughs> we're in the dark got... timeline, just like he planned it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can just imagine the cover of that comic, like Snyder standing one foot on a pile of bodies with Superman's cape in one hand raised in his fist. In the other hand, he's got um, Aquaman's trident. He's got the lasso round his shoulder. He's got Batman's cowl on, you know. He's just there. Green lantern ring on the finger that's holding the cape. Yeah. <laughs> he is all of it. He, he holds yeah. it on his back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could like, you could even call it like, Snyder shrugged, and I'm sure he'd appreciate that. <laughs> he would love that. Oh my god! So yeah, um, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see what's where where what is going to come of this. Anyway, I I know that I need to watch it, and that like I, I yeah, I'm excited. I, I I'm it's more like I I I want to. It's like um, morbid curiosity now more it's than fun. anything else. I think. It's fine to hate watch shit. Like we've all been doing it for years now. It's fine. Yeah. Like I'm gonna watch it academically to like just to see how bad it is. And if I'm by some you know mystery of fate surprised or like pleasantly surprised, then so be it. I'll be glad to see that happen. But you know. Yeah, exactly. That that's how I want to be. I, I'm watching this with an open mind, uh, and I'm kind of hoping that it uh, is like low key good. Because that would be hilarious. Yeah, that would be amazing if it yeah, was yeah. actually good. Because it will set Twitter ablaze and that, that's yeah. amazing whenever that happens. <laughs> Obviously, I go into anything hoping it's good. But, you know, like, I've got Snyder's Watchmen on DVD. Watched it, you know, quite recently for our Watchmen episode we did. When I say quite recently, I mean last year. Feels like recently because nothing's changed. Apart <laughs> from, <laughs> don't even think the weather's changed. <laughs> Uh, but yeah it's just yeah no um yeah i i it's morbid curiosity for me at this point so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens uh whatever happens i've you know so i've got a wall of batman comics and things behind me like i'm i'm not one of these people that lets things like this sour things for them like because you get these people that come out and they come out screaming and, sh- and yelling and swinging about how things are supposed to be a specific way and everything else. And I'm, I'm, I've got my version of it. Let someone else have theirs, you know? Yeah. And, and it's if like, this is what they want, then let them have it. It's, like, it's, it's also like, it's fun to like have these 
discussions and like playfully like Mm. complain and and jab and pretend that we care that much about it but it's kind of like fun to have that conversation yeah um, rather than actually care and be like oh it's ruined my childhood it's like man like the comic you read the next issue probably ruined your childhood man like (laughs) we've got like crazy nostalgia dreams about some of this stuff and it's like Comics are inherently a medium where a, a different uh, creative team would completely control a character next time. So you just had yeah. to be ready to to let go, man. I still love Spider Man, and I I had to read the Clone Saga. And you may have to read it again <laughs> yeah, for this cast. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I love Spider Man. <laughs> well, it's like it's, it's like the Nightfall stuff we've done recently. It's like I have super rose tinted glasses for those books, and. Like going back and reading them now and and having the appreciation of the comics medium that I now have and knowing what I know about how comics are made and everything else, I kind of have like, I can look at them and I can see their flaws, but I can still love them. And then like, it's nice to have a new, uh, like someone who's like new to it all, like on the, like Ray, because Ray had never read these before, before we did the episodes. And it's nice to have Rahul here as well to kind of like present that, new like the unrose tinted view kind of thing mm. if you get me to be able to look at it and actually you know as much as i because i'll be like yeah it's flawed but i love it and me and marv could just go on for hours about how good they are when actually you know what there are problems with it or it is a little bit flawed in place and things like that or, or it does it does miss the marketplace i mean yes they are classically good comics but this is just how it is and it's nice to be able to do that and it's nice to have that kind of like balance on the cast and things like that. It's nice to have someone to kind of like grab the string and pull me down, like <laughs> not let me float off into the clouds sometimes. It's, so yeah, it's not, not been my intention for any of the nightfall stuff, but like, we'll see where it goes, I guess from here. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like that's going to happen. <laughs> but Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, um, so other than that, we've had WandaVision, which is now available streaming on Disney plus like, seven episodes now mm-hmm. yeah seventh episode was released um two days before we recording this because this is a sunday so yeah um and i am absolutely blown away like totally blown away and you guys keep telling me that there's like discourse on the internet that people were finding it boring and things in the first few episodes and stuff like that and i'm like who <laughs> You should rightly be ignoring all of that. It's fine. Yeah. Don't even dive yeah. into it. It's cool. Who? I love it. I've loved it start to finish. I've, I've loved everything about it. There is nothing about that show at the minute that I can find fault with. Like, and I want it to carry on like that. And obviously we're trying to keep this spoiler free because we're going to do, we're not going to do any, you know, big deep dive into WandaVision. I just wanted to mention that it was out there and it's really good. And I wanted to say that it's fine. It's doing the thing that I said that I wanted when we were discussing um, like Infinity War or something a couple of years ago back then. And I was saying, I, I can't wait for the time when Marvel get to play in the space a bit more. Like they started bringing in some of the like the cosmic weirdness in Guardians of the Galaxy. And then they got to have all the um, like the trippy magical stuff with Doctor Strange. And now they're finally getting to play in different genres. They, you know, they've basically made a sitcom drama and it's it's really good it's what i'd always it's what i've been waiting for and i'm very very satisfied with it but they're getting to do what what like i mean it finally feels like i mean it felt like they were doing 
what they were doing before anyway with like the um the infinity saga and the previous phases of the MCU it felt like they were they were building this mythology in the movie universe um akin to the way they do it with the books but with WandaVision it feels like they're getting to go deeper into some like really really kind of like um left of field stuff with the comics and I'm really enjoying that, like that they're going deeper into this stuff and they're getting really, really like into the comic bookiness of it. And they're getting to, to pull things out and, and things that I never thought I would ever see on the screen. Like not just the heavy hitters anymore. And it's really cool to see that and to see that coming to life and to see them doing that and weaving that all together and building this universe and, and stretching out wider and building this universe wider and further than just the infinity stones and just the heavy hitters, which is, you know, really for me, really cool. I really enjoy that. And I get to, you know, I, I get to see it all unfold in front of me and it's really awesome mm-hmm. how they link it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm looking forward to the season finishing so we can have a bit more of a in-depth talk with some spoilers and stuff because uh, there's i think there's a lot to say on there um and yeah i've got a lot of thoughts and feelings and opinions about the show yeah what, it's a thumbs up for me so far yeah and, and what this is doing which i believe its intention is is getting me excited for further things to come from the mcu because I'm, it's yeah <laughs> I mean that's always their game, right? Like keep you get you hooked yeah. into the next thing. But yeah, I'm curious to see what it's feeding into. Have you seen the Loki trailer? I have not. No. Ooh. I think so. Yes. Watch that after after we've recorded this. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and like on top of that, so what else have I been doing in the interim? So I've been obviously we're in the UK. Things are still closed as they rightfully should be because it ain't safe. Um, and uh, we, I've been reading a lot of stuff digitally. I've been reading all the, like I, I've been basically riding that DC future state wave. Um, I'm very much enjoying it, particularly the Ram V Swamp Thing stuff, which has me super excited for his ongoing series that starts in March in two weeks time. Actually, uh, we've got number one on today's pool list. Um, so he's getting Swamp Thing and he's done this, this two issue thing for, um, future state well two issues so far for swamp thing the story and i it is a masterpiece like it is ah like i cut uh, why didn't i put it on the review table to talk about it today now actually now i think about it but um i think i might come back and revisit that and talk about it when i have more ram v swamp thing material to gush over i think because it's it's really good um and it's nice to see swamp thing back in back in print and have and getting an ongoing series, which is nice, you know, like not just like a winter special or a, or one shot, whatever, like this will be the first in, in March, this will be the first ongoing series Swamp Things had since the new 52. Um, and that gets me real excited because Swamp Things such an interesting character and you can go so many different directions with him and do so many different things with, I mean, Swamp Thing doesn't have to just be Swamp Thing either because there's this whole like other thing going on with the green and the parliament of trees and choosing an avatar and and the whole kind of like cosmic balance thing and balance of life on earth thing that goes with that and 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 
how that is built and, and used. And you can just go in so many different directions and Swamp Thing could be anyone or anything. <clears throat> like, if the Green wanted to, they could pick a fucking dog to be Avatar of the Green, you know? That's the cool thing about it all at the minute. Like, that's this is what I love about it and this is why it's so interesting to me. And uh, I just enjoy the idea of Swamp Thing. Always have, always will. Like, it's 100% my jam. And then uh, building off the back of that... Um, I mean, there's some really cool Batman stuff in the um, DC Future State thing, which I haven't had the chance to check out because that's waiting for me in my LCS. So when it's safe to go and buy them, I will. A lot of books like that right now. Like I'm way behind on my X-Men because of that. And it's like, it's just so like, because I know I've got this huge pile of books waiting for me and I'm almost anxious about the size of this pile of books (laughs) and about being able to read them and things. It's like almost like worrying you're gonna read but, those in, in a weekend max oh yeah yeah if i get a whole weekend just to sit and just like lock myself away It'll be with friday night and you'll be done before 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah could be could be but yeah i've got all that stuff to read all that lovely stuff waiting for me uh the batman future state stuff um i've been reading the superman future state stuff i'm not i'm not usually one to to pick up a superman comic like that but like I'm digging it. Like this, the way what they're doing with the Superman stuff and whatever is actually really cool. So, to like remind the audience, can you give us like a brief, brief, brief sort of blurb on on the future state and like? So, what is future state? Future state is the future of the DC universe. So, what happened is, um, the Dark Knight's death metal stuff happened. Um, the multiverse was saved. And then out of that came glimpses of the future of various worlds in the multiverse. So instead of doing um, what they were doing, like dark multiverse stuff, where it's like, what ifs and if things branched off in different ways, what future state is, is the future. So this is like the future of the DC multiverse like little glimpses into the future of the DC multiverse. So it's all really modular and easy to pick up. And it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to, because I haven't read any of the Dark Knight's death metal stuff yet. I'm waiting. I want to collect, I'm going to wait and buy it in a trade when it comes in a trade at some point, because I'm not, I I missed out on all of it. And um, at this point right now, I don't have the bandwidth to catch up. So I'm going to wait for that to hit in a trade or a big hardback or something and pick it all up at once. But like, you don't need to know anything. All you need to know is that happened and they, they won. That's all you need to know going into future state, <laughs> like which is great. Mo- most big comic stuff, isn't it? Yeah. But it's like, it's like less, it's less big comics than most big comic stuff is. I think it's more accessible than a lot of other big comic stuff. That's cool. Because it's like glimpses into the future. Like the, um, You've got like Superman of Metropolis, which is Clark's son. And then you've got like um, this uh, this new Wonder Woman. Uh, you've got the, the Swamp Thing, which is like in the far, far future where humanity is supposedly over and done with, um, supposedly. And uh, Swamp Thing has like the basically the plants have reinherited the earth kind of thing and swamp thing is he's built a civilization of plant people he's like made them like 
as human as possible, but out of plants, which is a really interesting concept. And Ram V being the talented writer that he is, uh, has really, really, really gone to town with that. And I really love it. Um, you've got like, uh, some stuff with the new Mr. Miracle. Um, and it's just, it's basically like mantle passing. So like, these are, these are like the next generation of DC heroes, if you understand but like filling the boots of the predecessors, which is kind of cool to see. Like at this point, apparently supposedly they've already come into their own. So they're already like the established, the established Superman is already John, John Kent. Hmm. And it's, it's really cool. So yeah, there's all of that. And um, I'd say, you know, if you're interested in DC comics, like give it a look because it's, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, so yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's all I've got to say about that. Just, just pick it up and read it. Cause it's great. It's great stuff. And it's not as big comicsy. So don't be put off by it. Cause it's not as big comicsy as other big comicsy stuff can feel. So like, don't be put off by the fact that you feel like you won't understand it or, or whatever else, because all you need to know is that like big thing happened. Multiverse was saved this is a look into the future of what the DC universe could be. And it's nice. And it's not too long, is it? No, no, no. It's, um, it's obviously there's all individual like books for each thing. You don't have to pick them all up, but like it, I think there's like an ongoing thing through most of the Superman stuff. So all of the Superman stuff kind of knits together. So if you want to start reading the Superman stuff, be prepared to buy more books. But, um, the rest of it kind of, sits on its own like you could just pick up the two swamp thing books and they just sit by themselves um and it's not i don't think it's ultra long no so it's cool yeah um oh recently scored a bronze age house of mystery omnibus on ebay uh which i've been like kind of like making my way through which is really cool and there's some really it's really interesting look back at bronze age horror anthology comics which is my jam as you know, you've probably heard me talk about this stuff a lot of times. Um, most actually, no, I was reading like the, the kind of like really early stuff before, wasn't I like EC comics and things like that. So now I'm, I've, I've like, I've bought this bronze age omnibus of, uh, <clears throat> house of mystery, but yeah, I like I've, I've had other bronze age, um, horror comics and things like that before. But like, on, I think on, I don't know if I've talked about any bronze age ones on this show before. I'm trying to think, cause most of the stuff I think I've talked about has been the really early stuff. When I've said I'm reading it, maybe Bronze Age, maybe some of the stuff that was published in the Silver Age. What was cre- oh, creepy? We talked about, didn't we? But I can't, I can't really remember off the top of my head right now. But yeah, this is um, late '60s, early '70s, and uh, this is DC's horror, one of DC's two horror anthologies because there was uh, House of Mystery and uh, House of Sorcery, and um, they were kind of like. After after a certain point, they this is where the introduction of so anyone who's ever read Sandman comics, you'll know about Cain and Abel. Um, Cain and Abel were the horror hosts, if you like, of House of Mystery and House of Sorcery, respectively. So Cain's first comic book, Cain's first comic appearance was in um, House of Mystery. 175 which i believe was 1968 
Um, and it's just cool just looking back through this stuff and like some of the stuff, because there's like some really, um, I sent you guys a page earlier, um, of like some of the, like some of the like interactive gamey stuff that's in there. So like you get to a certain page, it's like hold a pencil, like page 13, they've got this gimmick with page 13 and it's like, hold a pencil and then drop it point first onto this page. And it will tell you your, uh, your look. Basically you'll get your look is what it says. And, um, did you do it? No, because I'm not going to do that to my omnibus. <laughs> Drop a pencil point first onto it, <laughs> because I'm precious like that. But um, you could put like some uh, cellophane or something over it. Yeah, I could, I could, but I might <laughs> dent the page. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, I'm not doing that. But yeah, um, so like, and I'm just looking at some of the answers on it. Are like normal things that a teenager might be worried about. But then, like, there's one that sticks out to me because. It's like, you can really tell it's 1968 because there's one there that says you are drafted. Hmm. Which, of course, this happening, you know, this being published in the middle of NARM or whatever. Like, yeah, it's it's, pretty brutal to get that one. Yeah, it's like, wow. Like, because you've got, um, so like, if I read through some of the answers on here, so it's like, don't trust your steady. You will not be invited. You will lose your driver's license. Your father found it. Your allowance will be cut. You will flunk your test. You will be caught in the dormitory. That trip will cost you. (laughs) And trip is in like real psychedelic letters as well. So it's like, okay, yeah. So they're expecting these guys to be doing acid while they're reading these horror comics, which would be amazing. Um, And it's like your blind date will think you're a dog and then you are drafted. (laughs) So, yeah, there we go. Like it's it's all normal things that you think a college kid might be worried about, and then like even today, like conceivably today, these are all things that a college kid might think about or, or be anxious about or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is cool. And then you see you are drafted, and it's like, well, um, I'm glad people don't have to worry too much about that anymore. For now, you know, yeah, for now. <laughs> but yeah, there we go. Um, so yeah, it's a real a real teller of the times it was published, and it's kind of cool to just happen across this stuff. So that's why mostly why I'm enjoying that. Also because of these like these horror stories. Like I was telling you guys about the um, was it the man who hated good luck or something like that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. How are you finding that the the horror stories like hold up? Are they still quite chilling? Are they still uh, um, quite engrossing? By today's standards and by the standards of horror comics that I'm reading today, um, they're not that hardcore. Um, I wouldn't say they're like, because we're talking post. So this is like post comics code, but at the point where they're starting to be allowed to try to like drip stuff back in again. So that like basically they're, they're getting the, the, the rules are getting looser and looser. So they're allowed to kind of like do things now that they weren't allowed to do before. They're allowed to include things that they weren't allowed to include before. And things are getting progressively, um, you know, more, more and more again, more violent, etc. cetera. Um, and it's, I mean, like if you like read some of the ones from like um, the fifties or whatever, pre comics code, like pre code horror comics, they are pretty, pretty tight and pretty chilling. Like they're really good, but obviously there's a lot of stuff in those that, yeah, <laughs> I can understand why people might've got a little bit like, Oh, my kid's reading this, you know, <laughs> but like, um, 
past that further on into the 50s and things get really, really, like, really, really, really kind of um, cut off at the knees. Uh, and then all of a sudden things start. So it's not, it's not like super hardcore, but they're fun. Yeah. So they're like, you know, they're, they're good fun still and they're still good horror stories, but they're just not, you know, by today's standards, like obviously if you're looking for something that's going to like stop you from sleeping, that ain't it, you know, but they're still fun. Still good fun. But yeah, it's cool stuff. Um, so I'm working my way through that and uh, enjoying every minute of it. So, yes. Um, and then uh, I guess that brings us into today's list of reviews. So where are we starting? We are starting with Snow Angels, I believe, Leon, that uh, you read and I read too. Yeah. And this is um, Comicsology Originals. And this is uh, Jeff Lemire writing. Uh, artist is Jock, uh, which is what turned me onto the book because, like, I love his Batman stuff. Uh, letters by Steve Wands, and uh, like I've already said, published by Comicsology. So, uh, Leon, do you want to take it away? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Can go do. Ahead. Uh, the basic premise of this story seems to be there is a post-apocalyptic uh, time location. Uh, it's not. It's not quite clear, um, but they. We're focused on a father and his two daughters, and it's one of it's the eldest daughter's birthday, and they live in what's referred to as the trench, and the whole, for they know everything is a winter wasteland, just uh, hardcore snow. Uh, they literally wear like uh, rollerblades to to traverse the area. And they go out hunting and they have like a a sort of code that they they live by where it's like um it's like three rules that the the father character goes by and it's like one the trench provides so like um uh the the trench seems to um it it like gives them wild animals and like things that like grow on the side of the walls and stuff like that. So it helps them like keep alive. And then the second rule is like, never ever leave the trench because like for they know everyone who's left has died and you're not really going to go far. But also um, there is a threat who could be mythical referred to as the snowman. And that's the sort of boogie boogie man sort of monster that people have um, out there to, and it's like, oh, you don't want to leave the trench or like the the snowman will get you. And then the third rule is like the trench never ends. And, and the idea of this is that like the trench sort of stretches on forever in both directions. But um, yeah, the sort of start of this book, I guess the main thrust of this book is getting getting a window into the father character um as he um as he takes his two daughters out and they they like go hunting he gives his daughter a gift and we we get like a a bit of insight in into this world where it's not just the big sort of things that i've said so far in terms of the world building but also like how these characters um operate and 
their sort of familial relationship um and like their their father's relationship with the rest of the people back at the uh sort of encampment town whatever you want to call it where they all live as um being a bit uh, I, I guess side-eyed a little bit for treating his uh, daughters in a particular way uh realized that in this society um like gender norms like heteronormative gender norms are sort of uh, are like the rule of the day so like it's like men and boys you get taught how to like hunt and fight and stuff and it's uh women and uh girls who are like stay back and uh cook and clean and sort of provide for for the uh for the rest of the encampment and already we're getting um the wrinkle of that where the father's not not exactly raising his daughters in that way and the eldest daughter um is uh, is is like more of what you'd call a quote unquote tomboy, but more in the sense that she's rejecting these uh, sort of this gender lane that she's put into, and it's like a cool setup of this like post apocalyptic family. Um, and then uh, as they go out on on their extended journey, they return, and um, yeah, the, the town is kind of uh, well, the encampment is kind of kind of in disarray, but. Uh, I think one of the things that I found striking with this book is is its use of like color and especially as it reflects to this like icy wasteland where a lot of it is like black and white um and then you have like different types of arctic blues um over over the images like it's it's like muted and there's like snow and sort of ice floating in the air, um, like filtered all over the image to give this real, real texture. It's not just like they're on a set, an icy set. It really does. You can feel the elements uh, beating them in the face as they skate along the trench um, and encounter different things there. And um, I, I think that, for me, it's a really sort of, it's a strong jumping off point. Um, again, this falls a little bit into my thing of like, uh, like, this feels like the super, super, super beginning. This is the cold open here. This is the cold open. And I, I, I kind of like, wish I'd like, uh, maybe waited a bit until like maybe a trade was out or something so I could get it, get a bit more at a time. But it is a definitely um, intriguing starting point. Um, and yeah, I really love the look of it. I love how it's kind of minimal. We don't really have like uh, sort of big pages on the law. All of it sort of comes through uh, the eldest daughter who has given us um, our sort of voiceover and there are insights into into the uh her her sister and her father and yeah i think that it it feels more organic than this way and it doesn't feel it feels like we're more subjective in the experience rather than being um objective and, and kind of like far away from it and i think that's an effective way to 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 build this hook to um to reel us in what were your thoughts greg so like my initial thoughts on this is like it is a really cool opener and i 
I love this world they've built of basically like um so far I am assuming we are in like some kind of like second ice age or whatever. Yeah, it feels like and, it's yeah. like the uh we're, we're paying the cost for climate change. Yeah, and ice skates are the way to get around. And uh we're in this trench which is like the only habitable part because it seems to be kind of semi shielded from the elements that are whipping around the rest of the earth because we've got this really cool like one page a uh, full page shot of um like showing you kind of like the vastness of it and the desolateness of it where you've got like this this uh, family um skating down the trench and they're tiny like ants and then we can see the trench and how the trench stretches out like a canyon in the ice and then all you've got beyond that is wind and snow that's all there is and it's almost like i, I don't know cuz there's like a lot of like um a lot of like tech hanging about knocking around in, in, in the snow that looks really um, like, like almost like a war caused this. I don't know. Or maybe there was a war and global warming. I'm assuming both because that's human nature. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We can't destroy it. Yeah. If we can't destroy it fast enough on our, without having a fight, let's have a fight and destroy it faster. So, um, yeah, like like you said, we've got these really cool hues and like like um there's this um almost like uh when we start seeing other hues at night, there's this almost like um Aurora Borealis quality to it. Like with like the greens and the blues and the yeah, purples, yeah. like in the indigos and whatever. And um, you know, like, uh, the way that the stars are done in some of the pages when we get like the night scenes and things and we can see the night sky and it's just, it's, it's an incredibly beautiful book. Um, and there's just some really cool concepts in here. Like the whole thing, like the way that they are living or appear to be living in this trench seems very, um, it's like back to basics, hunter gatherer stuff. Scavenging. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like the whole, like, this conversation when they kill the trench dog. And then they're they're talking about using the whole body. Like, they yeah. honour the kill by using the whole body and things like that. And that's that stuff that really, like, I really like that. I, I really, I like the, the, this kind of, like, level of detail with the world building. And, and, you know, like, giving you some kind of idea of how hard it is to exist out there, that they cannot afford to waste anything. You know, like everything is, is useful or used in some way. And we, you know, we just have this, basically this, this whole first issue is just building this stark reality. And like you were saying about, um, about how he, the, the, the father rebels against the kind of like the laws of the village almost by raising his girls as boys, as it's put in the book by teaching them to hunt and things like that. And his eldest daughter, 12 years old, he's taking her out and teaching her to hunt and things. And, and you know, the younger daughter seems a little bit preoccupied with something else. Yeah. Um, almost like I feel like it's going to reveal that she has some kind of powers. I don't know. Like she, she's got some kind of sixth sense. Um, but she always seems preoccupied with something else. There's something that always seems to be something that's bothering her. Like versus how the other two are behaving. And there's a lot of, like, her with, like, you know, questioning things and, and yeah the way she looks at stuff, which I quite like, is quite enjoyable. And 
like, and also with like the dad, there's weird sort of inconsistencies with some of the stuff that he says. Yeah, uh, but I get the feeling that he was born, grew up in the trench. He might be like second or third generation trench person. So, <laughs> like you know, like what he knows and what he doesn't know, and and like when they're talking about the tech, and and you know what they do and don't know about the tech, it's like all of this all of this knowledge that was once had is lost. And I, I always like that as a trope in post-apocalyptic stuff, like where you've got like, it's, it, it's not magic, but to them it is because, because all of what was once there is now lost and they don't have that anymore. They don't, they don't have access to any of that tech anymore. And it would make their lives so much easier. They just don't know. And it's staring them in the face. If only they could get it working. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it is that I really love about that trope, but I really love that trope. I think it's like the futility and everything else, and like the fact that it's just like well, it's, it's the, like fu- the, re- the rediscovery of mystery that's lost, but you yeah. gain it back over time. Exactly. Like it's, yeah, you, you, things are less mystical yeah. or um, mythical now because we yeah. have all this knowledge, and if that's lost to generations, like there is something appealing about that. Like, yeah, I, you, and you hearing you guys talk about it reminds me of stuff like. The Promised Neverland or like Attack on Titan where there's mm. a society that's set up and then has all these rules and then uh, like almost has a, uh, I don't know, a religious or a military application put to it. Like you're not supposed to question these things. Or you're not supposed to like, here's how we live and that's all we know and that's all you're going to be taught to know. And yeah. Like, does it stack up against those kind of stories which are really popular for those reasons, I think? Like it sounds kind- really good. Kind of, yeah. It's got, it's got a lot of that vibe about it. Um, but this whole, like, using every part of the kill thing. Like, there's this whole... Th- this action page... The action shot, actually, of the uh, the pages where they, 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 they make the kill. And you've got the dog appearing from round the side of this, like, half-buried mechanical... Um, I don't know what it is, but it's some kind of, like... Ain't, by their standards, ancient contraption. Yeah, and it this kind thing's of reminds me of the guardians from Breath of the Wild. Yeah, mm. and this this dog is like coming around the side of this thing, and then all of a sudden, this arrow just goes straight through the side of his head, clean kill. And it's like this whole like in losing something, they've gained something because they have this like huge respect for this animal in saying like, yes, we've killed it, but we've killed it in a quick and clean way, and now we're going to use every single part of it, which is something that I guess over the years like in today's society we don't have that when when you know when we we like take life for like um so i guess i'm using the the whole thing of like uh farming to produce meat to fill supermarket shelves and things like that and then like because we've got the technology to do that, to mass produce things. And we don't need to worry about what we're wasting and what we're leaving behind. And we don't need to worry about each thing that we take away from the earth because we, you know, we can just, we have, we have things that, that compensate and make up for that, you know, but now they don't, now they have to. And, and with losing all the tech, they've, they've regained that understanding of the world around them and how things work, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really cool opener and a really cool story, and uh, I am invested. Yeah, and, and just to like yeah. like loop back on like a really good point you made, um, like from the beginning and throughout, the way um, scale is handled is really well done. Like you really do feel that they're in the middle of this massive trench, and 
a lot of the um uh like structure and composition of some of these images really do convey um just the titanic uh nature of it all like how it's 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 like larger than life like beyond anything really yeah um, it's it's insane yeah whereas it, it does feel like yeah. it's um like some sh- strange out of this world thing caused caused it to to some degree and like it does give me a little bit of nods of like snowpiercer like yeah. concept which yeah. i still need to watch oh <laughs> uh, you should definitely watch snowpiercer mm. Sidestep, um, it, you know what else it reminds me of when I saw the trench and the fact there's this trench and this this globe. I just imagine this globe with this trench stretching all the way around the middle of it. And I, I start to think of Kai Planet in Dragon Ball. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he's got a car. Why does he need a car? Like, he's got that little road that goes all the way around the planet. And it's the idea of, like, I think there's, like, several points in the show or several episodes where they're training on Kai Planet and someone does something like a beam and it goes all the way around and makes a trench all the way around the planet. And, yeah, just, I just uh, instantly images of Kai Planet. <laughs> hey, he uses his car like uh, like a hoverboard, you know, just like a Segway just to get, get across to a different room quicker. If it just goes like just round and then back up again, like it doesn't even take that long for something to get round it because there's points where they fire a fireball and then it hits them in the back of the head. Like, uh, hey, you, you spend thousands of years there and you'll be finding shotgun. <laughs> true that, true that. Especially when it is, you know, imagine being trapped in a house with bubbles. Like, <laughs> he gets too much crap. He does. So yeah, that is uh, Snow Angels, and that is written by Jeff Lemire, artist Jock, letterer Steve Wands, and published by Comicsology. It is a Comicsology original. So um, this brings us on to comic book number two, which is the one that has been sitting in my LCS that I'm waiting for, which is uh, the kind of like um, the latest project from uh, W. Maxwell Prince, uh, the Ice Cream Man guy, which is why I was so severely excited for this book. Um, and uh, it, it seems to be all about clowns. So do you want to take this away, Ray? I can do. Yeah, if this wasn't clear, um, listeners, this is the one that we were all laughing that we thought Greg would absolutely have read, but he turns out he didn't. <laughs> um, but Leon and I have read at least issue number one of this new book called Ha Ha uh, by W. Maxwell Prince, as Greg said, um, writer of Ice Cream Man, And let me just read the blurb from the website. Uh, Maxwell Prince brings his signature style of one-shot storytelling to the world of clowns, and he's invited some of the comic industry's best artists to join him for the ride. Ha Ha is a genre-jumping, throat-lumping look at the sad, scary, hilarious life of those who get paid to play the fool, but these aren't your typical jokers. Um, So this specific issue is written by, as we said, W. Maxwell Prince, art by uh, Vanessa Del Rey, colours by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by good old neon and like you've <laughs> if you've been listening to us for a while you'll have heard us bang on about ice cream man a lot and <laughs> where ice cream man is is often about the masquerade being performed by elemental players to lure us mere mortals into a false sense of security before dragging us into a dark alley of terror haha is more of a 
like softer, rounder, but smudgier uh, version of Ice Cream Man with more dirt in the corners. And instead of the masquerade, there is no facade. The world is a dark and oppressive place, and we're following the lives of people who are attempting to thrive uh, in spite of this. And I personally feel like, having only read the first two issues, which are only out now, right now, but we're going to only uh, focus on number one, because that's what Leon's read. Um, I feel like this issue in particular is deliberately counter to Joker, um, like the film Joker, where, um, like, this clown that we have in this story is, like, deliberately see- he's seeking joy in spite of all the things that are happening to him. Like, so the main character, Bart, is down on his luck, but he considers himself to be the luckiest guy alive. Although he's about to lose his clowning job at the local fun fair uh, and he needs to do what he needs to do for the best, you know, to do the best for his family. Um, and so before I get further into it, Leon, do you, uh, what were your initial thoughts on this book? Yeah, I, I really um, had a good time with it. It definitely invokes a, a bit of the sensibility from, from Ice Cream Man, from the, the mm-hmm. issues that I've read. But for this particular story, because it's focused so pinpoint on this guy, I think it does a good job of uh, humanizing this guy in, in in quite a way because he's he's just a normal like flawed guy just trying to like living in like he's just a normal human and he's just trying to like survive and Mm. um a lot of it i think the way it handles like misfortune and just the whole concept of like when it rains it pours is really well and having that run counter with the um like the the voiceover and the uh the events that play I know it has this like weird off kilter sensibility to it that you're like, like that again, you will give you memories of like ice cream man. But I think that, I think that what's really sets this apart is, is, is focusing so deep with this character that like they sort of feel, uh, as if they, their agency and their, I don't know, their, their outlook, it's all controlled sort of by fate to a degree because, um, they're sort of washing down the, uh, the stream being pulled by the current and the way how that intersects with like how, what this character's actual thinking on it and deciding like what they're going to do and, what what when enough is enough what the stance is is really interesting and like um i think your like counter joker um i think that's a good observation um one that i hadn't really uh thought of until you've said it but it, it definitely has elements of that going throughout because it's a, it's a very much it's it's a much more hopeful thing than that mm. and but it's not, it's not saccharine or sugar-coated in the slightest. It's it, it's incredibly like dark humor, but handled in a very like humanist way. And 
I think that's I don't know, I found I found that to be very engaging reading through these books and um I think that like the transition between these like sort of different states and how uh the central character interacts with the world around him and how he acts following certain things that like happen to him through the course of the issue it's um it's a very good character study but also i think it does that thing where like to a degree a, a lot of people can see themselves in different elements of this character or or his predicament um and it it it, it grounds what to a degree can be a larger than life story but it, it grounds it in quite a real place because at the end of the day everyone is just trying to like work a job and provide for their family and uh yeah at any time it can sort of like i know the carpet the rug can be pulled from under you and things start to tumble and i think this this handles it in a very good way in a very like not cliche like post falling down like post joke away instead it's mm. it's yeah. ha- it's i think the the focus is a lot more on this particular character and it's not about like a, a switch going off and it's like oh you're gonna go it's feral now and get revenge on society instead it was it's more um almost a, a recalibration of the mind it sounds like it's maxwell prince doing what maxwell prince does best which is tragedy so like almost like he is what i would say is like the bard of horror or the bard of horror comics like when I say the bard, I'm likening him to Shakespeare and Shakespeare's work with tragedy and comedy and whatever else, right? So when I've read the Ice Cream Man stuff and, you know, I've I've read those stories and how they are so relatable in ways and they play with the human condition and and they play with the relatability in, like relatability and existential horror and then it, it's... It's like, you you know, like when, when I read Ice Cream Man, I am constantly seeing like my own fears laid out before me in places and things like that, which is, it's, I don't know if that's healthy or not sometimes, <laughs> but it is something that I, I, I really enjoy and can get really into because of the relatability and because of how it's there. Um, and, and I feel like that's what he's doing more of with this. And it's more into him like playing with tragedy again kind of thing yeah. tragedy in the shakespearean sense yeah no i think i i think i do understand what you're saying because like um it's hard not to think about this book uh in reflection as a reflection of ice cream man because that's the way i came in to it i was expecting it to be sort of off the back of ice cream man because that's all i know of w maxwell prince but in in how ice cream man sort of posits its protagonist as uh, even when they're innocents, it posits the protagonist as somehow villains deep down because the big bads of that story seem to think that all humans are villains. Um, I think this book is, it's, it is very tragic because it, it is somewhat mostly grounded in reality and it is focusing on these guys who, where, like, in this issue, the world around him is so oppressive. And like Leon was saying, it's, uh, everything is kind of off kilter. There's like a mixing of different scenes and perspectives and like his, attitude to the world seems really dissonant relative to the world that is there because like everything's sort of 
uh, like unnaturally shrouded in shadow. There's like an inky blackness that absorbs him the entire way through the story, but he's still quite a hopeful person. And like, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to sort of pick out parts of the, I think, what is the ultimate thesis of this issue at the end? He has a little speech saying it's a fight against the idea that decent people are driven to indecency and um, give in to the idea that life is brief and terrible. Like there are things happening to this guy that are um, unnaturally awful. And like the people that he loves the most treat him so um, flippantly, despite it, despite him trying the best, but he's um, yeah, he's, he's pushing through like what else can he do? He's not going to succumb to, um, like the the pressures of a violent world, like this is where I think it is uh, a counter to Joker because like he doesn't give into it. He keeps going. He keeps wanting to do this job, and he doesn't want to harm anyone in spite of all the harms put on him. And like it, the the art presents this in a really interesting way because like um, I kind of wish you'd have read the second issue, Leon, because these two uh, two issues are actually quite different in their format. Whereas um, the second one is a lot more traditional. It has you know very um, rigid, uh, sort of linear square panels which don't in, you know, cross over with each other. Whereas this one, there is a lot of like him, um, intersecting with the next panel and like when certain violent things happen to him or certain like, um, traumatic things from people that he trusts happens to him. Um, the whole panel construction goes completely awry. Like things start going completely askew or aslant and then like crossing over with each other. And I really like, there's a few panels that I wanted to pick out where like he, um, he's staring out of the page and it looks like it, if in any other comic, it could be that like, you know, Kubrick stare down the camera where it's the, um, this guy getting the worst news that he could possibly get in this moment. And it's him starting you know, going mad. But if anything, in this instance, it's him like his chin is resting on the bottom border of the panel that he's on and spilling into the next one. And it's almost like he's resigned himself to it. Like he's resting his chin on a, on a table or something like just out of like, what else can he do? He's just flomped onto it. And I, um, there's another one, like, I, I don't want to spoil what happens towards the end. Cause there's something, a really interesting choice, uh, in the climax of this story, um, but what I will say is there's a touchstone. I don't know if you got this, Leon, but like the animatrix second renaissance where there's this idea of like probing into somebody's mind and then like triggering the things that can make them laugh or cry. Yeah. Yeah. And like it expresses that, that shift between, um, like how it can be a conscious, like a physical choice in your head to fall into despair or to, you know, what it takes to find just to find the best path or to find the best option. Um, and just seeing that kind of stuff represented on page is is astoundingly cool. Um, I don't think I have much more to say on top of this. Uh, the, art, the artwork is fantastic. It's a lot more like bubbly and cloudy and like um, mucky in in ways compared to Ice Cream Man. Like I was saying, there's a, a facade to like pretending that the world is joyful, but it's actually see- seething with um, like writhing with bugs under the surface, which I know is a, is one of the things that you love, Greg. I do wonder how you'll feel about this one where it's a lot more overt. It's a lot more on the surface and it's not so much a creeping dread more than a like oppressive, like yeah. oppressive world. Yeah. That's it. It's like with, with ice cream and it's, it's like, it's not, it's more about the human condition. And like when you were saying that people are the, the protagonists or the antagonist in ice cream, man, I guess, or I don't know, you can be either suggests that people are bad it's more that he preys on people's fears of am i a bad person Mm. 
So like if someone's having like intrusive thoughts about being a bad person or about, you know, am I a bad person? Am I worthy of living on this earth? Am I worthy of my existence? He preys on that and makes you lean into it and examine it. That that's that is examined within that book, and that's that's kind of like one of the things that I I get from ice cream and that I enjoy. And I'm I'm assuming that this does a lot of things similar from the things you've been saying. And I will probably I will probably really enjoy the art because you know I love all kinds of art. Like everything works differently for everything else. Is like there's no one true way to illustrate a specific kind of story because each way each different artist will approach a story differently, given the same script. And we'll show you a different facet of that script. Yeah, and to that point, um, it seems like all of the artists per issue will change each issue. Um, because in these first two, they are very different art styles, but they're both like spectacularly well-drawn. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing what both of you guys think, um, how the first and second contrast. And it's only going to be six issues, it seems. It's going to be one like one trade paperback at the end of it. Um so yeah, I I think maybe we should catch up at the end of this in issue six and like see. What oh we yes, think. yeah, definitely yes. that'd be cool. Mm. I just want to shout That's... out the uh, the cool little uh, it nod, which <laughs> I thought was nice and subtle. Um, That's this, this one's going to be a hardback. <laughs> Wait, Leon, what are you referring to with the uh, with the, the it reference? Maybe I missed it. <laughs> it's, Unless it's just clowns in general. No, it's to do with the uh, the paper boat and the drain. Oh, right. I didn't clock that, but yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like... Uh, yeah, I, it's not so with this, but it's, it's hard. I'm looking forward to us being able to talk properly, because I always feel bad about, like, spoiling an issue one or something. Um, and I always like to try and give an overview. Um, but sometimes it's hard, because things that have, transpire in this really do... Um, like there's so much to say about the things that happen. So um, yeah, when when all, when all six are out, we can revisit this and like properly dive in because um, like if there's so much stuff I could say about this one, I, I can't imagine what the other five are going to be like. Hmm. And for what it's worth, I really enjoyed issue number two as well. So I don't want to say anything about it because you guys haven't got there. Yeah, I'm I'm hype. Um, so. I think uh, the next one we're moving on to, we are making our way back up from the Mariana Trench to the uh, the surface, <laughs> into the sunlight, as far as things go. Because this next book we're going to be talking about is Beast Wars. Yes, Transformers Beast Wars, you heard me correctly. And it's only 25 years old. For some reason in my head, it was way older. This is one of those things where it's like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, Ugh, it's 25. That makes me so old. But I'm looking at it like, it's only 25? I feel like that was like 100 years ago. But yeah, it's been 25 years. It feels longer. I was nine years old when Beast Wars first crash landed into my life. I was already a huge Transformers fan at that point. And seeing Transformers toys that went from robots to like organic looking beasts, like the design was awesome. And that was like, hook it into my veins. I found my new heroine kind of thing. Um, <laughs> And that's, that's pretty much me from then onwards in, well, like my bedroom was an opium den if opium dens were full of beast wars, but yeah, like that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted to spend my pocket money on. I would like actively ask if there were things I could do for my parents to earn money, like 
so that I can like, I'll do chores, I'll save up. And then I will use what I, that five pounds I've saved. I'll go to Argos with it and buy a Beast Wars toy. Like I was on that basically. Um, and there was a CGI TV show, which at the time looked great. I've watched some of their game recently. I don't think the animation has aged so well, but the story is magnificent. And the way it ties into the larger Transformers tapestry is also one of my favorite things. That's magnificent as well. Like all the time travel stuff, time travel. So yes, um, I still have like piles and piles of these Beast Wars things like stored away, Beast Wars toys stored away at my, at my mother's house. And I am, you know, I, I need to, as soon as this, this whole pandemic business is over and it's safe to go visit people again, it's safe for me to go visit my mother again. I will be going and digging them out of the attic and having a search through because I need to, I need to sort out what's up there because there's so much stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the many things that's up there that I need to go through in my Beast Wars collection. So yeah, it's all there. And uh, so as you can tell, like so far, this is something that's very close to my heart. Um, and this isn't the first Beast Wars comic that has ever been, but it is the latest, and it takes things back to square one. So it goes right back to the beginning of the Beast Wars story and does things again, from the beginning of the Beast Wars story, which is kind of cool and it's nice to see and it's nice that they're going to be doing that because that can bring a whole generation, a whole new generation of fans on board in a really accessible and easy way, which is cool. Um, so this is published by IDW, as if you needed to guess, because it's a Transformers comic and that's what they do. They take nostalgia and then feed it back to you in nice, golden, fried, easy-to-chew bites, which is really nice. <laughs> like IDW for that um written by Eric Burnham uh which like I know from my immense love of his work on Ghostbusters comics um he has this like enormous respect for like any IP that they give him so like whenever he's writing something um that has a history he takes all of that into account so he kind of has like an enormous respect for that stuff and he does things in a way that while he stays true to what you you loved to kind of like hook you in with that nostalgia, he's also bringing something new to it, which if you are a new fan is really cool. And if you're an old fan, that's also really cool. Art by Josh Burcham. Letters are by Jake M. Wood. So, um, yeah, I mean, like straight out of the uh, straight out of the gates, I'm just going to say yes in a very Megatron way. <laughs> Uh, because because that's how that's how I feel. So yeah, it's um it's following the same basic trajectory as the original Beast Wars story. Yes, so far like it is great. It's like it has me like I'm reading it and I'm huffing nostalgia like glue. I'm I'm like putting a towel over my head and like shaking up a can of some solvent or other and spraying it upside down to get that hit. Um. And it's like, it, it, I'm spending a two good hours after this, just like dossing about online, Googling pictures of toys. And <laughs> so with it being a Transformers property, like the whole primary purpose of Transformers properties existing in the first place outside of toys was to sell toys. So it's still selling toys. I didn't buy anything, but I was looking. Not that I need to buy anything. I've just, I've got loads of them already. So This is worse please. than drugs, like. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure these Beast uh, Wars and Beast Machines characters are more expensive than drugs. They are now. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't used to be. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, so I was just like from like the get go all over this and there's some fantastic, really cool designs for the characters. It brings a very organic edge. There's plenty of movement, like the love and care that Eric Bur- uh, Burnham has given to this series, like with it following the basic trajectory of the, like the first few episodes of Beast Wars, but then adding some to it. So it does the thing where it's like, um, you know, you've got the, the Maximals and the Predacons um, on planet cybertron this is like the future of planet cybertron we're no longer in autobots and decepticons we're in maximals and predacons um and the uh basically what it is is a predacon has um galavar a predacon called galavar who um he has come up with a um a, a kind of a plot basically at some point in this book, he says that he is evolved and he no longer is Galavar. He is now Megatron. Please call me Megatron. Um, so he's telling the, uh, the Tripredicus council to call him Megatron, um, which are like the council kind of like in charge of the like Predacon stuff. They're like the, the leaders kind of thing. And he's going against their wishes by doing this. Like they're kind of like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? You know, we're not totally into the idea, but then when they see it's actually starting to work because he's, sending them this message and then things are happening and he's like okay so maybe he's right maybe this is beginning to work they attack a shipyard and they're going to go to earth basically because what they're trying to do if you know the beast wars story is they're trying to change the course of the future because it transpires that when the beast wars land on earth they land on earth prior to when the transformers wake up so because they go back in time so the original transformers optimus prime etc etc are still on the ark buried in the side of the mountain out cold after they crash landed, uh, before the beast wars hit. Um, and it's, it's got this like time travel edge to it, which is really nice and cool. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it just goes on from there and there's like some really cool, nice new additions to it. Um, there's a new character that was introduced in this issue. Um, so she is a back called Nyx. And I love her design and it is a beautiful little nod to an existing toy in the Beast Wars line, which was um, Optimus Primal slash Convo Bat. So when Beast Wars were originally released, they had several like what they called classes of toys. So they grouped them into classes which uh, basically were groupings according to size and complexity of transformation. Also bigger meant more expensive, naturally. Um and uh, this was Convobat in Japan or in the UK, in the US, he was, op- it was Optimus Primal, was a basic class blue bat that could auto transform into a robot when you pulled its tail. And there was also a basic class Megatron, which was an alligator. Um, I mean, like in Transformers lore and everything else, these guys have been retconned as separate characters, uh, like something convoluted with them being clones of the leaders or whatever, I don't know, but... Um, in, in the toys, in the toy line, I think these were a a cheap Optimus and a cheap Megatron, or you could go all out and you could buy big Gorilla Optimus and big Dino Megatron. Um, but yeah, so they made, they did this little nod to Convo Bat by putting in Nyx, which is really nice. Uh, so they basically gave Convo Bat its own character in, in the story, which I really like, I think Nix is cool. She's a really great pilot. She turns into this like really awesome looking, like I love the animal designs in this and I love the artwork in this and this, this cute bat design. Like I like bats and that is a cute bat. 
Um, and even like prior to them, like crashing on it, this is what I always like about it. Like prior to them, like crash landing on earth and, and getting their animal forms, uh, very much in a similar way to the way the transformers get given their vehicular forms in the original transformers tale. Um, like I love the way that they, um, they almost, they carry some of that anyway, like they have those traits anyway. So like rat trap already kind of looks like rat, tra- like a ratish type thing. And, and Rhinox kind of has this kind of like rhino y design about him and, and Optimus primal already looks kind of gorilla ish and Nix, You can already see that the kind of like the batish kind of features there in, in the robot um, with the shape of her face, the shape of her helmet like thing and, and like the shape of her head and like, um, yeah, even in some of the Predacons as well. Like, it's just, it's incredible. I love it. I love the way these characters are drawn in this book. So, yeah, I mean, Ray, you read this too, right? I actually did. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, because this comic isn't for me at all. Because uh, unlike you, I don't have any of the, the nostalgia. I mean, I have a bit of it. Like, you said it was close to your heart. And, like, it's not, it's not not close to my heart. It's more like in my sock, maybe. It's like, I'm not completely divorced from it. I liked Transformers and I kind of like Beast Wars. We were talking about this off cast where I said I had uh, a Beast Wars toy and like it, I coveted it because I didn't have many, it was the only Transformer I ever had. Like I love the the concept of it, but I, ha- I have no idea of any of the lore or anything. And like, I think this comic, even though you said it's a, uh, it's a reboot, I didn't realize that, but like it kind of does expect your knowledge of all the players going in, I think. And like, I, I did appreciate the history lesson you just gave, but I think I still kind of don't care. Um, like, <laughs> I, I, I realize I'm the problem here. Like it's, it's not, the comic isn't made for me. It was made for you. Um, and there was a point where I, I actively stopped like kind of listening to what was happening in the story because like there were these two really <laughs> essentially attractive protractors with personality, like battling out with staffs. And like, I just, I, I just didn't care what they were doing. Um, but, I carried on reading because, like, I really enjoyed the art in this book. I think, um, like, it being Transformers and then being set in space initially allows for a really intense, like, cool color palette. And, like, uh, it's set in this mysterious, dappled, grainy version of outer space where the sky is always exposed. Like, everyone's always sitting in this, like, massive arena where it's just open to the elements. And, like, you can see, like, the star-filled sky above. And, like... Um, all of the characters have really interesting silhouettes uh, by virtue of being, you know, machines in sort of humanoid form. And like, it's sometimes a little bit confusing with all the sharp angles and stuff, especially with like how spindly or weak some of them looked. There's, there's a couple of characters at the beginning where I was shocked at how like brittle they seemed, it, especially in contrast to like some of the, the big players like Megatron at the start. Um, you know, I just thought that was interesting. That's not a criticism, really. Uh, if anything, that's probably good character design that I wasn't paying attention to. Um, one of the things I'll say is it's hard to get a sense of proportion sometimes. Like, I didn't understand whether they were as big as a car or as big as a house or as big as a tower. Like, there's um, there's a really cool exterior shot of, like, a StarCraft landing bay, and it has that very Blade Runner-esque angled neo-brutal architecture where, like, it's just slabs of light projected onto flat angled panels to sell the idea of um, like a huge towering space. But I just couldn't tell because I didn't know what was relative to what. But like, mm. it's, I guess it's not that big a deal, but I assume they're huge. But then well, 
well, yeah, yeah, then no. at the end when they end <laughs> up on and like spoilers, I guess, but does it really matter? They end up on Earth and they they get given or they you know um, uh, do they get given their organic forms or like they are they are handed on a, an organic version of themselves and they basically end up as sort of realistically proportioned bats and gorillas and stuff. So I assume yeah. they are so, relatively small in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So they're given their organic forms by the computer. So the computer scans and looks for forms that will a hide them from any um, like indigenous life on the planet mm. um, and, and protect them and B protect them from the background radiation, the energon, because mm. this is a planet rich in energon. This is earth. Um, so it, it scans and it finds wildlife and because it, it gives them the forms of the wildlife, which is where they get these organic forms from these like, you know, bats and, and rats and, and cheetahs and gorillas and dinosaurs and things. Cause we're looking at, um, so this is like prehistoric earth, but like prehistoric earth post dino pre-human. So yeah. we got mammals, but we don't got, you know like people to mess it up yet mm. um and uh, we're, we're on the point where like so when you were asking about size mm. is they are actually small in comparison to the original transformers because so when they um when they land on earth and they get given these forms they are proportioned not to scale with the animals that they're taking on but to scale with each other because they are they're you know they're they they are kind of like average size kind of thing. They're bigger than humans, but they're smaller than the original Transformers because the original Transformers are gargantuan compared to these guys. Like we see um, in a later episode of the Beast Wars TV show where they actually find the Ark, and the Autobots realize they have to protect the Ark from the Predacons. Uh, we get to see the bodies of the original Transformers just devoid of life, just out just lying there you know they need repairing basically the arc needs to be activated to repair them so that the whole thing can continue so that the cycle can continue and and the war can happen and everything else but uh because it's like that time travel stuff um but like um we see the size difference and like optimus primal versus optimus prime the truck like there is a gig there is a huge size difference and they are bigger the original transformers were bigger but it's I think that's kind of like a riff on the fact that like these guys have evolved over millennia on Cybertron and they've, you know, Maximals and Predacons instead of Autobots and Decepticons and they've become smaller and more compact, kind of like technology evolves. <laughs> I don't know. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah. I, I like that they address that in the show. Uh, and like they, to, uh, to address the complaint I kind of made, I, I think they do, at the end of this book, they do have like a scale drawing of the various machines in a lineup. And I thought that was interesting, mm. but I didn't know if they were, like you said, relating to Optimus Prime versus Optimus Primal. And again, I don't really care if I'm being honest. Like it's just, <laughs> a, it just, it's just a, a small point that I sort of got stuck on. Yeah. Um, but like to quickly go back to the artwork, cause that's the thing that I really did enjoy about this. Like the, the, the lighting in this comic is incredible like so much moody color and like diffused lighting and everything uh like blooms in light or rests in shadow and it feels really alien by by virtue of like the silhouettes they all have and like 
I don't know. I think this marriage of color and light and angular design works really well in some of the later like warp scenes where ships are going through portals and even the portals are angular and like staticky. And I think um, one of my favorite page turn moments is there's these two spaceships that are sort of blaring through a streaky red sci-fi sky into a diamond wormhole and it's all like dark and red and dappled with like stars in the background and then you turn the page and it's suddenly this red romantic dangerous backdrop is um like exploded into intense blue and white shards of light and like some of that some of that stuff in this comic is very cool like it just it I don't know. Like, you keep coming back to the word "cool." It just feels very cool, and it it, it feels is cool. that like childlike sense of like, "Wow, this is so cool in me." And 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 then at that at that point, um, like the the background start becoming a bit more organic as they fall towards I, what I realize now is is Earth, and like you get the swirling clouds and like these natural sunset gradients on uh, you know on a forest and a mountain range, and it's so beautiful. Like it's so well realized. And then the book basically ends like it. Uh, this issue it ends on them falling onto earth and then being given their animal forms and like you get just this one glimpse of a landscape of earth with um you know like offset from the idea of these really angular spaceships and we don't mm-hmm. what i would have liked to have seen is them in their like protractor form um existing in organic earth form but you only get like a page of it and i don't know i i feel like I wish I wish we got more expansive landscape panoramas to match what we had in the space sections. And I think that's why, I, even though it's not a book for me, I'm going to come back and read issue number two because I want to see what they, just how good the artwork of them depicting Earth will be. Um, yeah. I'll be honest, I don't really care about the, the animal designs so much, but then I'm less of an animal person than you. Like, it didn't work for me. But, yeah. you know, it'll be cool to see where it goes. Also, if anyone's interested, um, David Kay, the voice of Megatron from Beast Wars, reads a portion of this comic uh, on a, in a video that I found <laughs> in the voice of Megatron, which was amazing. Like the, would that be the opening scenes? Because that would be quite cool to hear. Um, he does the, the end, oh, the bit oh. where Megatron is like, yes. <laughs> the bit at the very end kind of thing. So like, he reads in the voice of Megatron, like the last few bits of the book like um and uh there was idw posted the video and uh i've since not been able to find it i was just looking for it now while you were talking but i'm gonna put it in the show notes because uh, <laughs> people need to see this but yes um that is beast wars so that was beast wars transformers or transformers beast wars that is uh, eric burnham uh, josh bertram and jake m wood and uh Last on the list today, so we're moving. We're moving back into Marvel. So uh, we are now into uh, a book that is it's well, the Eternals, a book that is eternal in scope, eternal in width and breadth and everything else, because that's what these characters represent. So uh, they're back, and I guess it's time, just in time, because we've got the new movie, all being good, dropping this November. I think it is now, isn't it? It got pushed back again, didn't it, Eternals? I don't know if you guys know. Yeah, it did. I've seen anything. I yeah. can't remember the date that it's out now, but it did get pushed. I think it's November now. I don't know what date in November, but all being good, we should be seeing Eternals at cinemas in November, if it's safe, which I sincerely hope it is by then. But with the government that we're under right now... <sighs> anyway, um, it doesn't get more Jack Kirby 
than the Eternals. This was basically his Marvel answer to the new gods when he left DC and returned to Marvel. Um, the first issue of Eternals hit stands in July 1976, and the character designs and the concepts, all of it is pure Kirby sci-fi meets mythology. We have this race of characters that are basically woven into the fabric of the Marvel Universe and are making up the Marvel creation myth slash early history. So what the Eternals are, it's basically like Marvel's version of the creation myth for Earth. And it's like their way of explaining why some humans are born with superpowers and things like that. Um, so the the short version is the Celestials came to Earth one million years ago and performed genetic experiments on early proto-humanity. They made two races. There was the long-lived Eternals and the genetically unstable and monstrously grotesque deviants. And uh, these experiments also led to like the capacity for mutation in humans, which is where we get mutants from, which is why we have humans born with superpowers, a la the X-Men, a la everything that's happening on Krakoa right now, Party Island. Um, and uh, they also did stuff on other planets. So this is where we get the Kree and the Squirrel from and all of that stuff. So, you know, similar results. These Celestials were just like dossing about the universe, creating all different kinds of life you know, being gods. Um, so that's, that's the long and the short of it. And that's where the Eternals come from. And they've, they've had this like ongoing eternal battle with the deviants. And, uh, basically they have to keep the deviants in check is the whole thing. And deviants can, are like a, a race of kind of like, um, well, they can be anything and they can look like anything. Like none of them ever look the same. So when a new deviant is born, it never looks the same as its parents and things like that. And when a new one's formed and like they, they are there to keep in check excess deviation. Um, and it's, there's a, there's a whole long and storied, uh, history. If you wanted to get real deep into it about what the Eternals mean in the Marvel universe and, and how they are and who they are and what they are. Um, but, you don't really need to know any of that because it's kind of fed to you bit by bit through these first two issues a little bit anyway. And also if you really want it, um, there's an Eternals omnibus that I have my eye on, which is currently 70 quid on, uh, Amazon. And it is a fat thousand odd pages of Eternals comics, which is the first Jack Kirby run. And then the reprisal, the, the, the return of the Eternals in the eighties, um, and then a couple of some other material that includes the Eternals from throughout the years, which is be a really cool thing to have. And that's kind of like if you if you want that early stuff, that's that's where you're going to go for. It. I've got my eye on it because it's a really awesome looking book. And like, I'll be damned if I don't want to check some of that out. But I mean, I've read some of the Jack Kirby Eternals stories before and um, it's it's pure Kirby. And I think this new book kind of embodies that spirit. So um I mean, guys, I get your impressions on it first. So we all read this, didn't we? So, um, Ray, what do you want to tell me about the Eternals? <laughs> I have nothing to tell you about the Eternals because I had I had no prior knowledge of this before. You know, before reading this, I didn't. I've never read any of the old Eternals stuff. I have no idea who these characters are, or whether they're returning from old stories or whether they're brand new. Um, I do really like the writing in this. I think um, all of the all of the different characters are really. Um, interesting, likable in their various ways, definitely have very different voices. Um, I love the, like, uh, the, the narrator voice, which uh, is a reveal later on, which I'm not sure we're 
we're giving away now, so I won't say what it is, but I like the concept of who the narrator is and why they're talking the way they are. Um, I'm actually quite intrigued by the politics of this. Like, I, I the idea of the um, uh, the Eternals and what did you say they were the uh, the deviants or the deviations? Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's a really interesting concept that I didn't know existed in the Marvel universe, and like. Um, seeing how these first two books who the big bad is which i'm a little bit uh deflated by because we've seen this big bad a lot recently um but like seeing the the politics of uh like the power struggle between all these different players i'm actually quite interested in i'm not normally into that kind of stuff but yeah i don't have a lot to say because um i don't really know much about where this is going to go i think the artwork is pretty amazing um it's nice to see like like Iron Man makes an appearance in the first issue and is a very different design than I've ever seen in him. Um, I think uh, some of the monster design, like a uh, lot more sort of organic, fleshy sea creature-ish, edging on Cthulhu-ish sort of creatures have a really funky design to them. And like, it's all a bit mucky and um, like slimy and gross. And I just, I think that's super cool. Um, yeah, I'm I think mucky is the word of this episode. I like it, mucky. It's a good word. Yeah, it's, it's very, everything's been mucky today. <laughs> it's all very mucky. Very yeah. Mucky, um, yeah. Oh, it's not that mucky. Sorry, it's I've not... been playing COD Warzone a lot. So I've got yeah. that voice in my head too. <laughs> it's not that mucky. Jeez, <laughs> calm down. Um, so yeah, like um, it was basically so if you're interested um it was retconned a long long time ago in a comic book far far away that the titans were also eternals so that's why thanos is there um <laughs> which is the big bad i was ref- i didn't know if we were yeah. saying that or not but like, i was a little bit like oh more thanos i thought we and again maybe it's not it's not the comics fault that the mcu has been oversaturated with thanos lately um i don't know if there is a connection there or if they're like in talks with each other about what's going to be in the comic and what's going to be in the MCU or whatever. But like Thanos again, but what they do with him and like his courting of death and like death, even entirely rejecting him and that being his own format or his own version of being eternal in that death rejects him is, is a very cool concept. You're a mean one, Mr. Thanos. Yes. Uh, So he's there again with his, his purple grin. Um, I don't know. He's like the Grinch of the Marvel universe at this point, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of. He's always there. <laughs> yeah, but no, yeah, he's there, and he's um. So, like this new series is is Kieran Gillen and Esad Rivich, and um, this is the return of all that myth and sci-fi energy and wide-eyed wonder and sweeping grandeur that is the Eternals in full force and it has a sense of humor as well which is really cool um it is a it's beautiful delicate and fine artwork care and attention to detail in each expression and movement which is the fact i mean like that just basically just this is just an example of why i believe esad is probably the best fantasy artist currently in the biz like without a doubt like if you look at his conan work as well like you can see how the energy transfers from that across to this because it's that grand fantastic sprawling sweeping fantasy mood but with a little bit of sci-fi injected it's that myth and legend thing it's it's like it's grand it's like olympian in a way because it has that mood of like these guys are up there with you know like 
these are these are the gods kind of thing but yeah i mean i didn't realize it was the conan artist like that that what you just said rings really yeah for some of the the mythos built up in the second issue for sure yeah and that energy just transfers across to the characters like such as the to a character such as the eternals like from his thanos work and uh, thanos uh (laughs) from his conan work and um just the pieces just fit and like it, it's combined with this beautiful color that increases the depth and the majesty and it just feels grand. It looks grand and it's a perfect example. I believe of a team coming together to es- evoke a specific feeling and mood in perfect unison. There's like some really cool lettering work here as well, uh, draws the eye around each panel and encourages you to kind of like fully explore and, and look at each panel in the way that boxes are laid out, like text boxes and things. And this is kind of like a jumping put on point. So everything is nicely laid out and dripped in bit by bit throughout these issues. Like explanations aren't intrusive and they're not breaking the flow. And there's these Hickman esque infographics, which I dig, uh, which seems to be the thing now. And it all works together beautifully. And it just, it's a great way into this world. Like, I mean, Leon, you, you read this as well, right? I did. I did. And, and um, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. It's always tough for me because I try not to read like uh like the main like superhero stuff, if you know what I mean? Just because yeah. like um I don't have patience with the law. Uh and I only generally like to read my capes with like um in trade paperback form or like in some sort of event or uh like one off series they do or something like that. But um yeah this was this was it was quite um what's the word? It I think what it manages to do is kind of similar to the aforementioned like Hickman's work on the um the X Men comics. Uh uh even with like the infographics of, as you mentioned. And I I think it does a good job uh reintroducing this world and updating it in the various like little bits they've done to sort of change and modernize and like uh like with rahul like i know nothing about the eternals it's like the marvel property that's coming to movie that i know least about and i didn't know that much about the guardians before that came out but I know even less about the Eternals. Like I know more about the new gods by far, but once you went back to Marvel, like the Eternals has always been something where it's like, I know bits and pieces around the fringes and like, um, like some proper nouns to do with that, that stuff. Um, but otherwise like it's such a blank spot for me. Like I just have (laughs) no idea. So I think it is a good, Slap refresher slash, I guess re- rebooter, and the the way how it quite efficiently sets up the society and almost the bureaucracy that they have to deal with in terms of uh, death and resurrection and sort of this thousands year or like even longer this like long 
million-year um, saga with all these different people and how they each interact and affect each other. Part of it feels very... I know, part of it feels like that, like there was this world before and we're joining it at this stage. So it kind of works in like two ways in that sense because of it, it being like a newer version of the old comic, which I find gives them a, a, like a, a good sort of organic excuse to re-explain the world to us, having this uh, like uh, Earth computer type um, voiceover that we get. It's um, it's a cool way to sort of re-world build without really having to stop the book to do so. And I think how it how it builds up on that stuff and then it gets to the Thanos stuff and gets to one of my favourite bits, which is the uh the portal fight. Um I, I think that um yeah, I think it's really it's doing its job really well in these first two issues to sort of reacquaint and get us back in this world and sort of set the stakes up for what's happening and why everything that is happening is out of the ordinary. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a lot, I'll say. It's a lot because if it's anything like New Gods, uh, the lore and mythology of like a Kirby-created world is just so dense that um, I'm interested to see where they go. But I think that I'll probably let some trades build up if I re- revisit this but just because I want their I want to have some arcs and um at, at present it's I know it, it's it's a it's a lot of cool setup but um but yeah I'm not as invested with these characters yet if you know what I mean yeah I get you hmm. It's interesting because I I don't I generally feel the same way as you like I'd want to build up a few trades before jumping into it but I really like the drip feed of information in these first two and like I think the I, the the second issue in particular where it goes off on a tangent to talk about like um mythology from the viewpoint of a human and then from the viewpoint of an eternal and like how there's almost just like an accidental bureaucratic mistake made that mythologizes this this eternal's action like taking the that sort of tangent to explain the life of one of these people who have lived for millions of years like i don't know i thought i think it's um delivering all this in a really well-paced sort of way that doesn't mess with my attention span which normally like will switch off almost immediately in a lot of cases so i i think i might actually read this month to month um, it's yeah, it's pretty cool yeah, I mean, I love I love the humor in it and like how they're just so blasé about murder and things. Like, I'll be back in about twenty minutes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I love I love that. Like this whole thing, like why are we so worried? He's going to be back in twenty minutes anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they killed him. He'll be back. So what? It's like the Bill Bailey joke about reincarnation. Like, yeah, I'll be back in time for lunch. You know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like- I love. Uh, like that's that story you mentioned, Ralph, from this second issue, hmm. is so chilling, but like in a really like cool way. Because like I love whenever you see stuff like that, where like gods or whatever uh, interact with humans, and because the scale between the two is so so different, hmm. that there's, there's a different 
interaction of reality between the two. And then in this case, it's like super tragic, yeah. uh, in a way, but, uh, where like a simple sort of like visual mistake echoes so differently with like on earth with the people in there. And, um, yeah, I, I like how you get that dichotomy sort of like having those characters bump up against the sort of leads. There's a, a Gaiman uh, run as well, if you guys are interested for Eternals, um, which he did like a few years back. Um, and these characters are very much in the Gaiman wheelhouse with like the themes and things like that. So that would be something worth checking out. Mm, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I can totally recommend it anyway. So I, I think people should read Eternals comics because it's Jack Kirby and it's amazing. But yeah, that is uh, Eternals number one and number two. And that is written by Kieran Gillen. Art is by Esad Ribic. Uh, colours by colors by Matthew Wilson. And letters and design by VCs Clayton Cowles. So that there is Eternals. So, um, pull list. That's right. We've got one this time. Uh, I'm just going to rattle through these because a lot of these are just like pickups of things that we've already talked about at some point on this um on this show as in we've already mentioned either previous issues of or i've already said i'm excited for this so uh we have the department of truth number six which if you're not reading the department of truth where are you why are you uh (laughs) that's something you need to check out because it's very good ice cream man number 23 um kind of got this talk show thing going on at the minute uh which i'm a little bit excited about when i can finally get to read that because that's going to be sat in my lcs um this is uh for february 24th around now by the way so we've also got two moons number one i don't know if did i mention two moons before the image comics one i feel like i did i can't remember i'm not sure if you (laughs) did but it's something that i've seen recently yeah so this is like um a uh, a, a pawnee man named Virgil Morris, aka Two Moons, and he's fighting for the Union during the Civil War. And uh, he is confronted with his shamanic roots, and he discovers horrors far worse than the combat as the ghosts of his past reveal the monstrous evils around him. So that that just kind of se- that seemed like real interesting to me. Uh, Generations Forged, which is a DC thing coming out of a uh, all this uh, this future state stuff. So. Dispersed through time by the villain Dominus, our ragtag team of generational heroes featuring 1939 Batman, Commandy, Superboy, Steel, Starfire, Sinestro, Booster Gold and Dr. Light must find a way to restore the timeline and where they ultimately discover what they ultimately discover is something far greater. You'll have to read it to believe it as time dies and generations rise. It's 80 pages. (laughs) Uh, And it's like an 80 page one shotty type thing, I think. Uh, I believe this is going to be a one shot by the looks of it. And uh, I am uh, totally on board with that. So we'll see where that goes. Um, we've also got this thing that I found called nuclear family, which kind of looks like fallout, but like in between the bit you get to play and the bit you always hear about. So um, America, 1957 uh, Elvis dominates the airwaves and apple pie is served after every meal. But with the dark cloud of nuclear Holocaust looming Korean war vet 
Tim McLean's major concern is taking care of his family in the atomic age. So when the first bomb does drop on an unsuspecting Midwest city, Tim and his family find themselves plunged into a strange new world where what's left of the United States has gone underground while continuing to wage war on Russia with unthinkable tactics. So, yeah, that's uh, that. It, it looks very fallouty as well. Like if you look at the cover for number one, this is on Aftershock, by the way. So if you look at the cover, it looks very, it's got this very fallouty aesthetic going on with like the, the nuclear family and the, the, the kind of like 50s ish font with like um, all the rust kind of like speckling it and everything. And it just, yeah. So it's kind of feels to me like it's going to be a little bit of like if you enjoy Fallout games, this is kind of going to be, uh, for me, what happens in between the bit you get to play and the bit you always hear about at the beginning kind of thing maybe they don't have the advanced tech in this one i don't know but we'll see um moving on to the third of the third we have infinite frontier which uh is going to be another thing spinning out of dc spinning out of the um the dc future state stuff so this is the next phase of the dc universe beginning um i'm not going to go too deeply into what that is but that that's going to be uh, something interesting for you to check out if you're following the DC stuff. Um, there's a book called Berserker or Berserker. If you, you know, I don't know how you're going to say it. Um, I prefer to just make like a gun noise and just be like, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know, but Berserker. So this is a, something that Keanu Reeves is doing. I saw this um, as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, this is Keanu Reeves' uh, writing debut for comic books alongside Matt Kind. Uh, and uh, he's... Um, it's basically, this is brutally violent series about one immortal warrior's fight through the ages. And if you look at the main character on the cover, he, he's got more than a little bit of Keanu about him. Mm. Um. <laughs> The man known only as Berserker is half mortal, half God, cursed and compelled to violence, even at the sacrifice of his sanity. I want to hear that read in Johnny Utah's voice. (laughs) (laughs) When he's doing like the surfer voice, I just want to hear it in Johnny Utah's voice. I don't know why. God, I love Point Break. Um, But yeah, uh, (laughs) after wandering the world for centuries... Berserker may have finally found a refuge working for the US government to fight the battles too violent and too dangerous for anyone else. So, in exchange, Berserker will be granted the one thing he desires, the truth about his endless blood-soaked existence and how to end it. So, a little bit of Old God, a little bit of John Wick, and then you just put them in the blender and you just, like, just whiz it up and then, like, add a kind of, like, shot of tequila and a little umbrella drink it down because that's going to be very good um swamp thing number one drops on the third of the third which is the thing i was mentioning up top at the beginning of the episode which is the ram v swamp thing run which i'm very excited for uh we have man bat number two uh which i'm i'm following the man bat series so basically um dc giving man bat his own comic for um like a, a little limited story um and uh, so far, it's really good themes of addiction and things like that explored and everything else with, you know, his addiction to the Mambat serum and being Mambat and everything. And, you know, he's, he's just, he wants to show the world that he can be Mambat and do good as Mambat, but he can't do good as Mambat. And all he does is just go berserk. And it's great. 
Um, and also Transformers Beast Wars number two. If you like what we said about number one, pick it up, read it, then read number two. And Ray, I believe you have something to say. Yeah, I only have the one, actually, and it's for the 24th of Feb, but it's um, uh, issue number two of a book called Rain Like Hammers uh, by Brandon Graham. Um, I completely missed the first issue of this, but it was on my radar like back in 2020. Um, and Brandon Graham uh, is the guy who made a book that I think I've talked about in the past called King City. And like the thing I really like about him is he does these really intense sort of Wimmel Builder type, um, intensely detailed dystopian future cityscapes. Um, and like, I'm in it just for that, like super nitty gritty details. So yeah, I'll be picking that up. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of episode 106 of Ace Comicals. So thank you for joining us. You can find us in the usual place, which is www.acecomicals.com. Um, links to everything there. Basically you can listen to us pretty much anywhere. You can listen to podcasts. Um, you can find us most actively social media wise on Twitter, uh, at Ace Comicals, at us, DM us, get involved in the conversation. Tell us about things that you feel we should be reading. Tell us um, why we're right or wrong about the things we are reading. <laughs> you know, just just get just talk to us about comments because that's what we want. We want we want to kind of like well, I want to kind of like replicate that that feeling of standing in the comic shop and having conversations with other regs because you know that's what that's what it's about. It's, it's the whole comics thing. It's what we love. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U and, uh, at DMs, whatever, you know, talk to me about comics. Um, you can also email us if you want to, which is, uh, acecomicals at gmail.com. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Leon Everett yeah so that has been ace comicals episode 106 that is ace comicals over and out